today on CityCast Denver. While most of us were at home staying away from crowded public places, the hottest trend to hit Denver in years is the immersive art experience. You can watch a hundred foot tall touring Irish LED figure that can morph into any living or dead historical figure and sing to you. This is a real thing, by the way, and this may be coming to Denver. But what are the limits of immersion? And is this the art Denver really needs? Because the more you buy tickets to see a, a movie in a baby pool with like $15 cocktails, the more you encourage that type of thing. Today is Friday, April 23rd, 2021. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. My mom told me that she listens every morning, so this news report goes out to you, Brooke. The weather continues to warm up with sunny skies, some clouds, and a high of 56. The Boulder shooting suspect has been charged with 54 crimes in connection with the March mass shooting. This includes 32 counts of attempted first-degree murder, one count of assault, and 10 counts of carrying prohibited large-capacity magazines. Denver's Pride Fest and Juneteenth celebrations will include a hybrid of in-person and online events this year, with live music, dance parties, and more. Still no parades, but a hell of a lot better than last year. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to get a little irritated when I read the words immersive art experience. Mostly because I know artists who have been making interactive installations, pieces of art that people can actually physically engage with, for a long time. I was thinking back a decade ago when my artist friends turned their DIY art and home space Rhinoceropolis into a temporary installation called Fantasia. It featured humans doused head to toe in paint, telephones suspended in aquariums, and lots of glitter. You might get asked to be a contestant in an absurdist game show and spin the wheel to win a photocopy of a picture of a sunset or some other random nonsense. It was part concert, part living art piece, and it cost just five bucks. I remember the first time I walked inside. It was jarring, but in a good way. But that's how art works. After years or sometimes decades on the margins, trends bubble up and the mainstream grabs hold. Now we've got Meow Wolf roaring into Denver at the end of the year, dueling Van Gogh exhibits promising to put you inside the paintings this summer, and too many more immersive experiences to count. I'm so sorry. Do you mind if I ask my kids to pause the like 10 things they're streaming right now? John Wenzel is an arts and entertainment reporter and critic for the Denver Post. Earlier this week, he wrote a piece deconstructing the immersive art experience trend, and it left me with so many questions. So I invited him on the show to break it down. So in your piece, you mentioned this immersive Van Gogh experience, or I guess there are two of them. And the one you talked about uses projection mapping and it requires like this technical expertise to pull off. It's not super simple, but I still, I got a little itchy feeling like this is still a really purely commodified art experience. Um, can you talk about what what is it that makes an experience feel authentic or worth it to you? I kind of tried to avoid that in the piece, but I'm glad you're asking me it because that's a really hard thing to answer. And that's a really good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, authentic, original, those are such relative terms. To me, intent matters. 
if you are trying to do something beautiful and connect with people and express part of yourself to mangle a Pablo Neruda quote, you know, we just want our souls to be seen by other people. So that to me, that's art is when I feel connected with something and something can start as entertainment and become art, or it can be both simultaneously, or it can, it can be trying to be art and it can fail and just be entertainment. But in the case of immersive experiences, a lot of the stuff we're seeing is not art. It's pure entertainment. And that's okay. It's not a high, low art binary. But at the same time, don't call yourself art. Right, right. It's a it's a really fine line. And it's also about interpretation. I think it's hard to see how someone else might feel in that same experience, you know, that you didn't get anything out of, but they might have been so moved. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean... I, I didn't want to get too pretentious in the piece because I'm not an art critic, but um, I mean, the the art world's most sacred revolutions are doing what immersive art is doing, or at least maybe in reverse at some, at some points, you know, Duchamp taking everyday articles and just making them look, you know, ridiculous sitting in a museum and it's, it's a freaking coffee cup or whatever, or, you know, Warhol doing Campbell's soup posters. These are everyday objects. Re- recontextualized but it's like the opposite now it's like have a candlelit blindfolded dinner and pay like a hundred bucks for it and you don't know where it's going to be or how long it's going to last or what they're going to serve but you're a millennial so it's going to be awesome <laughs> or that's what they're banking on anyway right yeah and and also I'm, I'm not trying to crap on millennials either i mean like i said in the article it's easy especially now that i don't drink these days to look at drunk 20 somethings and be like everything you do is dumb but like <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do that when I was 20-something, so I don't know. It's it, it's less a value or a moral judgment and more just an observation that the marketing term has become utterly meaningless. Yeah, and I think you bring up a great point. It's like, is this for me? Like, maybe this isn't marketed at me, and that's why it's not doing anything for me because I'm not the target audience. Yeah. And I wonder if there's if there's a danger when immersive art becomes access, inaccessible because people can't pay $100 for those experiences. Like, did you, I, I think about this so much when I think about like what Rhinoceropolis and other art collectives were doing and have been doing for decades. Like that's, it's not anything that they invented 10 years ago, yeah. but like that immersive experience that they did called Fantasia cost $5. Do you think that there's a danger in it making it so commodified that it becomes inaccessible to people? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And I think- People wrestled with that through the pandemic because they had to make stuff expensive. Even cool stuff, even grassroots nonprofit stuff had to be expensive because they had to justify the cost. Like No Place to Go, this queer haunted house in yeah. Lakewood that was amazing. They they designed that as a haunted house, like in a structure. They had to reformat it to make it work, right? But but you're right. Stuff like Rhinoceropolis. I mean, I think Ghost Ship was doing immersive stuff even before that, 11, 12 years ago. And, you know, Meow Wolf was inspired by that. Vince used to, Vince Kedlubek, who was one of the co-founders, used to go to Rhinoceropolis, used to go to Casa Bonita. Right. So, yeah, I think there's something really appealing about it being not janky, but just like you can see the like stitches. Yes. You know, I, I think that's interesting. And Meow Wolf's all about that. They're like, look, this was hand sewn. Look, somebody welded this. You know, it's not like this was... 3D printed or or even if it was, you know, again, this isn't a value judgment thing. It's it's about intent. So to answer your question, um, 
Yeah, I think there is a danger. These Van Gogh things, they're pricey, man. They start at 50 bucks and they go up from there. But at the same time, like, what are you seeing? It's stuff you've already seen before and just slightly different arranged. Yeah. Way. Yeah. It's not adding anything. Yeah. Whereas some, and, and I mentioned this in the piece too, whereas um, something like Carne y Arena, which is Alejandro Inaritu's Oscar winning VR piece, that might be, you know, 30, 40 bucks or whatever, but it's, it, it's like seeing Hamilton. It's absolutely worth it. And you could be a participant if you want, but you start as an observer in a virtual border crossing and, you know, you get guns pointed at you. There's crying children. There's like, and it's like, this is virtual. This isn't even like a tenth of what real people experience, but it's so brilliant and it's so good. That was like a life-changing thing for me to see that show. I'm serious. I was like crying. And then you walk out and you get an email for, come see this immersive experience. And it's like some insult to my intelligence. So I don't know. That's part of why I wanted to write the piece. In your piece, you made a really strong point when you called on your readers to just think more critically about these experiences and what they're willing to pay money for. What do you hope folks question when they go to participate in one of these things? Well, I think if they're going to participate in one of these things to begin with, they have some interest in, you know, exhibition, in physical artifacts, in experiences of some kind. They're probably people who have enjoyed going to museums, or if they don't, they feel like this is safe enough for them. So... Yeah, I think when they go, you know, just live in the moment. Just be there in that moment and don't think about anything else. Just let it wash over you. Let it surprise or confound or annoy you. But then when you leave, you know, and you think about, am I going to go again? Am I going to tell people about this? What did I think of it? What, What am I going to say about it if I say anything on social media? That's the second level. Whatever your experience of it is, is great. But the second level is like, I don't know, maybe like give a thought to that. Are you going to encourage it? <clears throat> are you going to propagate it? Are going to tell people to go there? Or are you going to be like, it was okay, but, you know, it was like going to a wax museum in like Vegas or, you know. Uh, a Ripley's Believe It or Not or something. Exactly. And you know what? I mean it. I love those places. I, I do really too. do. I really, really do. So that's not a slam on them, but... <laughs> You know, some of these things benefit the local art community. Some of them don't. Like the Van Gogh thing. Um, one of the Van Gogh things is sponsored by the DCPA. And I believe is sponsored by the Post even, even though I have nothing to do with that stuff. So that's why I didn't mention it in the piece. But it's like, you know, some of these things do benefit the art community. And big corporate things I, I wrote, wrote about Star Wars at the Art Museum and Lego at the Museum of Nature and Science. I love those things loved them. My kids loved them. The whole thing was great. But, you know, just just think about it. Because the more you buy, you know, tickets to see a, a movie in a baby pool with like $15 cocktails, um, <laughs> the more you encourage that type of thing. Well, and you bring up a good point, And I thought about this. There's this bigger picture here where we all pay taxes that go to the Science and Cultural Facilities District, SCFD. And that money is then dispersed among um, arts organizations, but those top tier organizations get the most money, the DCPA, the Denver Art Museum, and, and they're ones that are putting on these events. And I wonder, do you think there could be more done by these larger institutions to hire and work with local artists instead of putting as much money into these immersive experiences? Possibly, although that's not really their mission. Um except for maybe Denver Art Museum. I think that 
I think Denver Art Museum does do a good amount of stuff. And, and, you know, and they do show local artists. They do show Denver painters and stuff. But they have to get to that level first. Whereas I think, you know, Lego at Museum of Nature and Science, you know, Jurassic Park, something at the zoo, whatever, you know, whatever you have. I think that's kind of like the clever win for them. It's like these are touring exhibitions. They're getting in front of these tier one SCFD orgs, all of which are nonprofits, and saying, hey, like, I, I got bags of money for you. And I know you're struggling and you're probably struggling more now than ever. So, you know, it's hard to look at them and say you need to do more for local artists, whereas if we just keep welcoming nothing but like Van Gogh exhibits and we keep calling things immersive art installations that aren't that, <laughs> it will hurt local artists because when something like, you know, Shiki Dreams or Rainbow Militia, you know, stages something and they call it that, there, people might be like, oh, is it like a bunch of like well-lit seven foot tall latex Frankenstein things that I can like take selfies with, which is what Distortion's Monster World is at the pavilions. And again, that's great. They're a Greeley company. I'm so happy to see them doing well. I love haunted houses. I really, really do. But like, they call themselves an immersive art installation. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know if that is. And, and furthermore, if it is, I don't know if I want to keep going to immersive <laughs> things that call themselves that. I'd rather just go to something that calls itself a wax museum or, you know, a haunted house. Well, John, thank you so much. I really, again, I enjoyed your piece and it was nice to get a little bit deeper on the, on the topic. So I appreciate it. Oh yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm honored and I'm, I'm glad the piece resonated. Starting today, it's officially restaurant week here in Denver. If you're feeling comfortable eating out, I asked our newsletter writer and resident foodie Peyton Garcia for some recommendations. Peyton, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bree. So the way Restaurant Week works is there are three set price points and participating restaurants choose what they can offer and whether they want to charge $25, $35, or $45. So Peyton, you've got some restaurant picks for us. So for the $25 price point, I would recommend Cho 77. And that's an easy pick for me because I, I love Chef Lon Siminsma. I think he's one of the best chefs that we have in Denver. For Restaurant Week, they're offering basically their entire menu. And I would go with the soup dumplings and the Thai coconut curry. The Thai coconut curry is an absolute fan favorite, and I'm a sucker for curry. What's your restaurant pick for the $35 price point? My pick for the $35 price point is Linger Hands Down. And I mean, I already made a reservation next week to go in. And what do you love about Linger? Linger is one of my favorite restaurants in Denver, and it's absolutely my recommendation to out-of-town visitors and newbies. Um, they do globally inspired tapas, and it's perfect for like a family-style happy hour with friends. Okay, so for listeners who really, really want to support a local business, um, what restaurant would you recommend at the $45 price point? Yeah, so at this top tier price point, you're going to find a lot of steakhouses and bistros. So this is definitely where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. Um, when I looked through, I saw a ton of great steakhouses and I went for STK. They're really great. They have a, a really fun vibe, good food. And in terms of pricing, an eight ounce steak or a salmon on their regular menu is already $45. So right there, you're getting a steal. 
What would you recommend uh, to order off of STK's menu? My order would be the burrata, the eight ounce coffee rubbed ribeye, and I'd add the macaroni. Oh my God, coffee rubbed ribeye. That sounds amazing. Yeah, they do good stuff. So to wrap up, uh, Peyton's recommendations for Denver Restaurant Week are Cho 77, Linger, and STK. Peyton, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks. I hope to see you out there. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. But before we go, there's one fun bit of fully awesome immersive art news to share. Meow Wolf put out a teaser video for their much-anticipated new place in Denver. I can't talk about it because my husband has done work inside Meow Wolf, but I wanted to hear what the rest of the team thought. I, I'm not detecting a theme, but I am detecting an air of pretentiousness. <laughs> That's our producer, Alexandra McMahon. There was that one like organic piece kind of reminded me of Lori Links Murphy. And our other producer, Paul Caroli. I don't know if she's involved. Doesn't it seem like they're recycling, it looks like trash or something? That's weird. And Peyton Garcia, who writes our morning newsletter. Our music is by Los Mocochetes with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, follow us wherever you get your social media, and tell a friend about us next time you see them. You can sign up for our daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. Bye! Should I say something? Should I, should I say bye?